Hello, and welcome once again. As we continue on in our Bible study that we're doing, uh, well, ultimately through the entire New Testament, one chapter at a time, but we are in the book of Mark right now, and today we'll be in Mark chapter 10. And uh, we've been looking through and taking a chapter at a time through the Gospels, working through them together. Mark's Gospel was written to the people of Rome, and... uh, uh, he was addressing a crowd that was really into authority and power. And so he jumped right into the gospel with the miracles of, of Jesus. And uh, now we're, we're sort of moving into, in chapters 9 and 10, um, where, where Jesus is sort of, just like we saw in Matthew, now he's sort of um, shifted his teaching focus and he's, he's working now more directly with his disciples. Uh, in the initial chapters we saw where there were, a lot of the teaching was focused at the crowds, um, and the Pharisees, but they have pretty much, the Pharisees rejected him. They're trying to kill him. And so he's um, now turned to his disciples. And we'll see from this point on in Mark that Jesus is really trying to prepare his guys for the crucifixion and what's to take place and the resurrection. And they, they struggle with the paradigm shift and the dynamic of it all. And they really don't grasp it until after the events. But um, you'll see that Jesus is preparing them and they just don't, they just can't take it in. As it is with a lot of the stuff that Jesus is teaching because he is changing the dynamics so greatly that they're having trouble getting a hold of it. Um, and they're, they're breaking free from a system that they've been raised in. And uh, it's the system that they know and can relate to, and, and yet it's flawed, and Jesus is coming and explaining the flaws. And he's saying, listen, we have to, to change this. This was a whole wineskin wine thing. We can't, we can't patch this system. It won't hold. It, this is how it was always supposed to be. And he introduces the kingdom of God. And he's replacing the rules of the Pharisees with the relationship to God in Christ. And, and so this is the, the basic format of what we've been reading. And when you begin to see it in that light, it all uh, really begins to flow together because you can see exactly why he was doing what he was doing. And we also see how Mark is putting it together for his target audience. And remember that the Gospels are written and even the events inside the individual gotten, are not, uh, Gospels are not necessarily written in chronological order. So you might see them happen in different times in different places in the Gospels. But um, each of the writers are, are using the stories of Christ, that the, the testimonies, the witness. I, I hesitate to say stories because some people think they're made up. The, the personal witness and testimonies of Christ to most influence the intended readers of what they're writing. And so um, all these things are happening. And we know that Mark was sort of the um, secretary for Peter. All right? And, and Luke... Uh, who we'll read uh, in the future, was sort of the secretary for Paul and record some of those events. Even though Paul wrote a lot of letters in his own hand, uh, Luke and Acts are, are primarily uh, uh, being written um, uh, by Luke as, as Paul relates uh, his stuff to him and as he gathers from some of the other people in the, in the early testimony. Mark is gathering his data as Peter is telling him what's happening. Now, remember the, the Gospels. And, and the New Testament, you know, we, we know that we have completed text early on uh, in um, the life of the disciples, that, that these guys wrote these things, you know, uh, towards the end of their lives. And, and some people go, why didn't they write them soon there? Um, because there's about a 30 or 40 year gap in there from the time that Christ is, is resurrected and until we start seeing the Gospels being written. 
And uh, the best answer that I can think of for that is that when Jesus left, they figured he was coming back any day. And so they didn't think they had time to write. They figured they'd just go out and tell everybody. And so that's what they were doing. They were, they were living testimonies of the ministry of Christ. And they were telling everybody. Well, by the time they started getting a little older and Jesus hadn't come back yet, they began to think, you know, um, we better write some of this stuff down. And, and so that's what begins to happen. But we see what we know as the New Testament written within 30, 40 years of the resurrection of Christ. So don't buy into this stuff that all this stuff is two or 300 years later. It's not. Um, we have historical evidence of the, the, the New Testament in its basic format by 115 A.D., somewhere in there. Already they found, so we know it was ready before that. Most of the New Testament written in 60, 70 A.D. Okay, and so, um, so Mark has been writing to us uh, of these events and, and all the things that have been happening, and now we're going to see him primarily teaching his disciples today. And uh, in this chapter, uh, what we're going to see is Mark really focusing in on some religious traps, some traps that have gotten religious people from, from the beginning and ones that we need to be aware of. You know, I've told you over and over again that a lot of this stuff is something we have to be aware of, that it's good that we can read it because we have a tendency to become pharisaical ourselves. And we have to be very careful, just like the Pharisees. started out with good intents, not good intention, but it didn't take long to drift off course and substitute relationship for rules, which is what we still do all the time. We almost always want to substitute rules for relationship. It's just one of those things we have to be aware of. It's part of our unredeemed nature. So, let's read Mark chapter 10. It begins in verse 1. Um, 52 verses, it looks like. And I will read it to you. You can follow along there in your notes or in your Bibles or whatever translation you might have. Or you can just listen to my soothing tones. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, as was his, and as it was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lacked, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. Don't you hate it when he tags on stuff like that? Couldn't he have left that off? That was such a fun verse. (laughs) And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. You couldn't be much clearer than this description, but the guys don't get it and they don't believe it. All right? But just, just so you know, he was preparing them. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said... We want you to do for us whatever we ask. This is just funny. You ever had your kids come up and do that? Well, it really depends. (laughs) What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. 
Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And blessed be the word of the Lord. All right, pretty much self-explanatory. I just think we'll close there for the night. That was good. Prayer request? No. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, so, Mark 10. Jesus is teaching his disciples now, and, and um, Mark uses these stories to illustrate some of the common traps that people fall into, religious people fall into. And, and so we're... You know, we have to use that term carefully because sometimes we go, oh, you know, he's a religious person. When I use that term, I'm not usually using that in a glowing format, all right? Um, and so uh, contrast that with really what I'm talking about is that, that what we want is relationship with God uh, that's built in, in Christ based on mercy, love, and grace. And that when I'm using uh, the term religious in a, in, a, in a sense, it's more of a negative sense, talking about something that's morphed into rules and regulations and ritual. And, that, uh, and it's lost the mercy, grace, and love. So, so I'm not picking on that. I'm just saying apart from mercy, grace, and love, that's, a, that's a, not a good thing. Okay? It loses what matters most. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. They'd lost relationship with God. They'd lost the idea of grace and mercy. They'd lost it. And it was all about rules and regulations. Okay? And how they looked and all those other things. And so... Um, there's these three traps, I think, that, that Mark is really sort of picking up in the stories that he uses in Mark chapter 10. And the three traps are um, uh, legalism and uh, humanism and authoritarianism, whatever. Authority, authority, yeah, that word. So hopefully I'll get it when it comes time. Authoritarianism. That's probably it. So... So there's, there's these three, all right? And so in the first 16 verses, the two stories that we're going to talk about, talk about legalism. And he, it starts with um, uh, an interesting topic. It's the topic of divorce. That's how it starts. And then it's got little kids in it. So let's pull them apart and look at it and see what's really going on. Now, um, the Pharisees approach Jesus to test him. Now, this word that's used there isn't that they're trying to approve him. They're trying to discredit him. It's not the kind of test that, oh, we can agree with you. It's, it's another trap. It's another thing. And they think they've got him again because um, they don't think there's a right answer here. Because if he, if he, if he says, uh, you know, no, that divorce isn't okay, then he's going against the law that Moses gave them. And if he says, yes, it is okay, he's, he's going against what they already know to be his teachings about lifelong commitment with one another and of course jesus is so good at this he never falls into the traps and what he does is he reveals their hearts with the situation and so the question is big question is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife now here's what jesus does with that and then we'll talk about it some too um the pharisees believed it's important to note that the law was the standard of perfection the law was the standard of perfection and that if they observed the law to the letter they would be saved 
That is the, the belief of the Pharisees. Now, when Jesus looks at them, he gives them a, and, and talks to them, he gives them a different perspective. He says this, he says, It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. And he says, look, if you go back to creation, you see the original intent of God in the matter of relationship between a man and a woman. The, religion, the original intent is that they would join together and become one flesh. Now, I'm going to keep going on that, but let me give you an aside why, that matter, why I think this is such a big deal. Um, God created us male and female. Male and female together reflects the image of God in a way probably that nothing else can because of the creation. So the marriage union reflects the image of God. Um, why I think marriages suffer so tragically is that the evil one who can't destroy God has figured out that he can target the image bearers of God and destroy the intimacy uh, and the, the relational uh, stuff that happens in marriage. And so it's, marriage is under never-ending attack because the enemy can't get God, so he'll go after the image all that he can. And so, so we have this dynamic in place, and we have from the beginning. All right. So, so let me follow along with the rest of the idea. So what, what has to happen then, because of our hardened hearts and because of sin and fallen world stuff and broken planet stuff, God's perfect standards are revealed in creation, but what's to happen in the law is God has to lower his standards to accommodate us as sinful people. And, and if you take it to that level, you can, you can begin to see that what Jesus was telling the Pharisees is that the law is not the standard of perfection. That it's a, it's a, it's, the law is actually God lowering his standards to accommodate us and to remind us and demonstrate to us that we need a Savior. Because even if we were able to follow the law, which we can't, it's still imperfect because the law is imperfect. It's a lowering of the standards of God. It's not the perfect standards of God. And that's what Jesus does when he says, Moses did that because your hearts were hard. Not because it was how it was supposed to be. Go back and look at creation. Go back and see the Genesis account. You can see the intent of God in the Genesis account. But Moses had to make a way for sinful people. Um, it, it was a lowering of God's standards to allow for people that fall short of the ideal. And this realization uh, is supposed to remind us of our need for a Savior. And so um, because of hardened hearts, because of sin, uh, warping and distorting the most intimate of relationships... Um, and, and, and messing them up. Moses permitted divorce. And so, so that's why that happens. Now, where had it all gone? See, because the Pharisees, remember, were always trying to figure out how they could still somehow manage to keep the law and yet do pretty much whatever they felt like doing. And in the instance that, that we have, because when the disciples asked Jesus about this in a room, is when you get this thing, and this is really struggle with, a, lo a lot of people struggle with this, um, uh, that, that, okay, if, if, if you get divorced and you get remarried, then it's adultery. And, and that's a big struggle. What was happening with the Pharisees was, and what, what we have to be careful of, is that they were just basically um, finding a way to swap an old mate for a new one. 
and they wanted a way to do it. And, and so it was their, their hard-heartedness, their distortion of this thing that was taking place. And with that intent, the result was adultery because there, there was no legitimate basis for it other than they wanted something new. Now, how does that impact us today? Well, the ideal is that we would get married, stay married. But we don't make the ideal in a lot of things. And that's why there's grace and mercy. However, it's still not okay to just sort of say, you know, um, <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do. There, there has to be always this idea that we've got to do whatever we can in the Lord and, and, and move in every direction. Now, sometimes it just doesn't work. And we have divorce. There's, there's plenty of folks that have gone through it here. There's no judgment. There's no those things. Many people have been remarried successfully and have good marriages, but they've had issues. It's, it's fallen world stuff. It's broken planet stuff. It's sin stuff. And you could pick this issue. You could pick a million issues to find where we don't quite make it. But, but the ideal is that, that in the Lord we're going to get this thing right, and that's what he's always intended. And so we, we just can't... Because culturally, let me put it this way. Culturally, marriage is a throwaway issue. Culturally, it's like the first bump in the road. Whoop, and that's not how it's supposed to be biblically. All right, Biblically, we do what we can. Sometimes it's just, just not going to happen. It doesn't, doesn't last, doesn't work. Um, and, and yet we need to be, you know, do whatever we can to make it happen. But sometimes there's just such a hardening of hearts that can't, it can't go on. And, and sometimes it happens. But, but the other problem would be when it happens because you've got somebody else in mind, you've got trouble. That's a bad situation. You have to be very, very careful uh, in the process and, and work through it as carefully as we can. And, and that's how that comes up. But I don't want to read those verses and not talk about it. It's an issue that we have to talk about. Um, you know, I'm not doing a poll, but I know that a lot of you have, have worked through. I know it's difficult. It's hard on everybody. And, uh, and so there's mercy and there's grace to continue on and to move through it. But we go back to the ideal. It's a creation account. All right? That's the idea. We don't always get the idea. We don't in lots of areas of life. So it's just the fallout for where it happens. But I believe there's plenty of mercy and grace and that sometimes there's... Um, there's just, you know, the, the, the ideal gets so twisted and distorted that there's no other option. So, so that's what happens in the process. And so, but, but, you know, pull back from that and understand that Mark's even including it in here because he's dealing with legalism. And they're always trying to find a way around stuff. See, it's not about following the rules. It's about this. Do you get it? It's about making sure your heart's right with God in these situations. In all of them. We, we, it's... it's, it's Where's God taking you in it? What, what's the deal? What have, you, what have you been going through as you've been praying and working through the process? Because I know these are hard issues. And, and so I, I can't just go, it's always like this. It's, it's very difficult, sad fallout from living in a fallen world that these things happen and that the ideal isn't, you know, isn't there. So, so hang on to that. But he's, he's attempting in this discussion to deal with Phariseeism and legalism. And so, so we, we need to be careful as we weave that into our lives today. And, and you know, and he's going to say some other stuff in this chapter that you need to balance into the account. He's going to th- say things like, you know, it's easier for uh, 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 a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. 
Um, and so that's, if you think of that, that's pretty crazy. Uh, now, the camel in the eye of the needle, I'm not there yet, but, but when we get there, um, some people say that, that in the walled cities there was a thing that uh, they called the eye of the needle, um, and you could get a camel through there, but you had to take all of the stuff off of them at night and shove them through because you couldn't go and load it up, and it was a big deal. Or it could literally be that he was saying <laughs> the eye of the needle in a camel, and somehow even that's possible. So we'll get to that in a minute. But So let's hang on. So he uses that first difficult topic to reveal to the Pharisees that their twist is the problem, and they're, they're trying to make a way for something and hold up a standard of something that's less than perfect as perfect. That's the main part of that story. The second part of the legalism story has to do with the children that come. And, and Jesus says something here that, that you have to get. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, this challenges the Pharisees in huge ways because the Pharisees um, considered, Judaism considered that a child wasn't under the law until the age of 13. That's when they are uh, apparently able to, at that age, to relate to God through the law. Before that time... They don't relate to God through the law. You know what they relate to God through? Grace, mercy, and love. When Jesus says, unless you can receive the kingdom of God like a child, you'll never enter it. What he's saying is, unless you come into the kingdom under grace, mercy, and love, you don't get in. You won't get in by the law. That's what that whole deal is. He's, he's totally undoing them once again by saying, guys, you, you can't get in the way you're getting. The law won't get you in. It's an imperfect standard, and he's building off the teaching that we just got. God had to lower his standards. You need to get that. It's not going to get you there. You can't keep it anyway, but it wouldn't be enough if you could. You need a Savior. You need Jesus. Unless you come in, like these children do, under grace, mercy, and love, you won't get in. So that's the whole deal with the kids. And why he says, let them come to me, because see, they're not under law. And they relate to Jesus by grace, mercy, and faith. Love. That's what we're supposed to do. That's that whole part of there, which is really cool, I think. And so um, uh, that's the only way in, just like the kids. All right, those are the two stories about legalism. Now, in verses 17 through 34, we're going to deal with humanism. And the idea of humanism is that somehow, um, in and of ourselves, we can be good. That's what humanism says. All right? And... What Jesus says immediately when he's approached by the the rich young man and the rich man says, good teacher, Jesus knows where this is going and he immediately says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, at some level, you could call him good because he is God. But he's bringing up the point that this rich young man who's going to start promoting humanism here is is trying to be good and that that's going to be enough. And so the, the story continues, and um, Jesus attempts to help this young man see the error uh, for himself. And so he asks the young man questions about the commandments, but he asks, he asks the questions, if you look at the commandments he asks, he asks only second tablet questions. Now, let me explain that. You know how Moses got the law? It was on two tablets, right? And uh, don't you know, think about the Mel Brooks movie where he's coming down with three tablets, and he says, the Lord's 15, and then he drops one. Ten commandments. <laughs> it's a good movie. Okay, so, <laughs> ten commandments. 
five on the first tablet are about how we relate to God. And the five on the second tablet are how we relate to one another. And Jesus asked the young man the five on the second tablet. Uh, and, and so he asked them, um, you know, uh, those questions. Murder, uh, about murder, adultery, stealing, false testimony, honoring mother and father. And the young man said, this I have done since I was a boy. He's been, he, got, he got those five down. And, and um, the young man was telling the truth, apparently, because Jesus looked at him. And he had been a truly good person. That's the human. He'd been a good person. And Jesus looked at him and loved him because he could see that he, he, he had been a good person. But, but see, there's, there's a sticking point, and Jesus knows what it is, and so he goes right after it. And he goes to the first question on the first tablet. And that first statement, first command on the first tablet is, don't put anything above God in a nutshell. And so he looks at him and he sees the problem of the young man. He says, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to go and sell what you have and give it away to the poor. And what's the young man do? Walks away sad. Why? Because he can't give up his money. He chooses his money over God. And anything you choose over God is a stumbling block. Jesus knew what a stumbling block was. Now, I mean, um, so does that mean that, that if, if we've got any money, that the only way we can follow God is if we give it all away? It's not what that means. But if your money is more important to you than God, guess what? <laughs> you better do some business with Jesus. Is there, is there, is there an issue with money? No. And, and, you know, we've said this before. Uh, all I can get to is this, that if your money runs you, you've got a problem. If you run in your money, it's a big difference. If your stuff runs you, you've got too much stuff. If your stuff serves you, you've got the right amount of stuff. But the moment you're having to serve your stuff, get rid of some stuff. Let it be somebody else's problem. So, so that's what we have to watch. But see, this was the sticking point, was that he had he'd got the, the last five down. He was doing good, but good's not enough. And when it came to the big part, is God the most important thing in your life? Well, the answer was no. That's why he walked away sad. Now, the disciples' reaction is they freak out because what people, and people still think this today, that if you're wealthy, that you're blessed. And that was what the disciples thought, that wealthy people were blessed by God. Do you know that, that there's a lot of truly miserable wealthy people? And, and that if you just look at people who seem to have achieved culturally wealth and position that most of the time you read about them and their lives are horrendous. And, and the problem with most of them is that, that they're, just, they're a big mess like we are and they have way more money to continue to buy drugs by the time we've all run out. <laughs> and so you re- is that not true? There was someone who had been to rehab 57 times. 57 times? How much money you got? So it's not that they're blessed. You know, in some ways it's... And, and when Jesus said, man, it's difficult for them. Because I think when you've got plenty of money, it's harder to hit bottom. And if you don't get to the bottom, a lot of times you don't look up. And so, so but he's saying it's not impossible. It's just difficult. Because it's hard to choose who you're going to serve. The Bible said you can't serve both. you serve one or the other. So you serve God and make sure your money serves you and him. And then you're in good shape. That's how it looks like. 
Um, and, you know, I, I think it's probably good that he, uh, well, you know, anyway, he chose money over God. That was the issue. And, and then the disciples are so shocked by this, they say, well, what if we left everything to follow you. Jesus says, you have never made a better deal. Because in this life and in the one to come, you made the absolute best decision. And it's going to come back to you a hundredfold in all these areas and persecution. Could have left that one out. But he said, it's going to be, it's going to be all right. You made the best choice, the best decision. And so... Um, Nothing's better than a relationship with God. See, ultimately, that's the bottom line of that. And that that humanism would tell you that there are things that are better than a relationship with God. Because you can just be good in your own human ways and motives, and we have a very humanistic culture. But nothing is better than a relationship with God. Nothing. No amount of money, no amount of anything is better than a relationship with God, even with the persecutions. Okay, then... 35 through 45, we have to deal with authoritarianism. It's easier if I read it from the paper. Um, and what he teaches his disciples is that, that too often um, people lord authority over others. They hold it over them. And that in the kingdom, it's the exact opposite. It, you'll never be over somebody. You will serve them. And that's how we demonstrate leadership. There's no hierarchies. There's, there's service. And so that's what the church should be all about. It should be about service, not hierarchies. It should be about uh, people serving one another, not striving for position, but serving. That, that the, it's, it's those servant things that we need to find and fill into because that's where the kingdom is. That's where you find Jesus. You don't find him in authority and in the church and position. You find him in service. So, so that be, should be the things we flock to. Culture always tries to get in there and change that in the church. We have to be very much aware of the process. And so authority in the kingdom is demonstrated by service. That's, that's how that works. And then the story with Bartimaeus. Um, I love the story of Bartimaeus uh, because um, the, the crowd wouldn't silence him. He just wanted to get to Jesus, and he didn't care what anybody else said. Because he was saying, Jesus, I need you, son of David. And he's crying out. Everybody's going, shh, don't bother Jesus. And he's like, no, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't care what the crowd says. And I, I love the way the crowd, who's you know, trying to shush him, you're, you, you, know, you beggar, be quiet over there. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, bring it to me. And then they're like, oh, hey, come on up. <laughs> yeah, he wants you now. And, and he trots over, what do you want? Jesus says, I want to see. Go. Your faith is healed. You. See, I think Mark puts it here as well because it's, it's by faith in Christ that we all really see. And that we can begin to see the difference between what religion is and what relationship is. And that we can begin to look past the, the rules. Even in these things that I read you, don't, don't get bogged down in the rules. It's about relationship. Let God lead you, guide you, move your heart, show you where you need to be. Move in Him. Trust in Him. Trust in His grace and His mercy. Live your life trying to do the next right thing, knowing that you'll fall short. Knowing that the sadness of living in a fallen world that we don't get to reach the ideal because it's, it's a twisted world. And then, and then doing what we can and doing our part and doing the best that we can in the process. That's what matters. That's what grace looks like in this situation. And that's where we have to be. We've got to come as children to God. Grace, mercy, love, faith. That's in. Amen? Amen. All right. I will take your prayer requests here.
and uh, upstairs. You can shut it down if you've been watching my video. Thanks. They'll pray for you in the, in the small group up there. Scott and Pam will. Or you can call us or write us, and we will pray for you uh, by email or phone. You can go ahead and shut it down. We'll do prayer requests here.